text for this morning's sermon is Numbers 3. Numbers 3, beginning at verse 1. These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, Nadab, the firstborn, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And these are the names of the sons of Aaron, the, appointed, the anointed priests, whom he ordained to serve as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eliezer and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of Aaron, their father. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall anoint and you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai, saying, List the sons of Levi by their fathers' houses and by clans. Every male from a month old and upward you shall list. So Moses listed them according to the word of the Lord as he was commanded. And these were the sons of Levi by their names, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershon by their clans, Libni and Shimei. And the sons of Kohath by their clans, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Aziel. And the sons of Merari by their clans, Mali and Moshi. These are the clans of the Levites by their fathers' houses. To Gershon belonged the clan of the Libnites and the clan of the Shemites. These were the clans of the Gershonites. And their listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 7,500. The clans of the Gershonites were to camp behind the tabernacle on the west with Eliasaph, the son of Lael, as chief of the father's house of the Gershonites. And the guard duty of the sons of Gershon in the tent of meeting involved the tabernacle, the tent with its covering, the screen for the entrance of the tent of meeting, the hangings of the court, the screen for the door of the court that is around the tabernacle and the altar and its cords, all the surface connected with these. To Kohath belonged the clan of the Amramites and the clan of the Izharites and the clan of the Hebronites and the clan of the Uzzielites. These are the clans of the Kohathites. According to the number of all the males from a month old and upward, they were 8,600, keeping guard over the sanctuary. The clans of the sons of Kohath were to camp on the south side of the tabernacle with 
Eliaphan, the son of Uzziel, as chief of the father's house of the clans of the Kohathites. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstands, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the chiefs of the Levites and have oversight of those who kept guard over the sanctuary. To Merari belonged the clan of the Malites and the clan of the Mashites. These are the clans of Merari. Their listing according to the number of all the males from a month old and upward was 6,200. And the chief of the father's house of the clans of Merari was Zuriel, son of Abahel. They were to camp on the north side of the tabernacle. And the appointed guard duty of the sons of Merari involved the frames of the tabernacle, the bars, the pillars, the bases, and all their accessories, all the service connected with these. Also the pillars around the court with their bases and pegs and cords. Those who were to camp before the tabernacle on the east, before the tent of meeting toward the sunrise, were Moses and Aaron and his sons guarding the sanctuary itself to protect the people of Israel. And any outsider who came near was to be put to death. All those listed among the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron listed at the commandment of the Lord by clans, all the males from a month old and upward were 22,000. And the Lord said to Moses, list all the firstborn males of the people of Israel from a month old and upward, taking the number of their names. And you shall take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. Instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the cattle of the people of Israel. So Moses listed all the firstborn among the people of Israel as the Lord commanded him, and all the firstborn males according to the number of names from a month old and upward as listed were 22,273. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the Levites instead of all the firstborn among the people of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites instead of their cattle. The Levites shall be mine, I am the Lord." And as the redemption price for the 273 of the firstborn of the people of Israel, over and above the number of the male Levites, you shall take five shekels per head. You shall take them according to the shekel of the sanctuary, the shekel of 20 geras, and give the money to Aaron and his sons as the redemption price for those who are over. So Moses took the redemption money from those who were over and above those redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the people of Israel, he took the money 1,365 shekels by the shekel of the sanctuary. And Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons according to the word of the Lord, as the Lord commanded Moses. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how important is worship to you. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we are, for the most part, currently restricted from worshiping in person to once per Sunday. Do you look forward to gathering with God's people? Or do you prefer to watch the live feed from home because it's easier? How regularly do you participate in worship? Twice each Sunday? Or do you find excuses for not attending or not following the live feed? Is Sunday still a day that you set apart for the Lord and for his service? 
Or is it turning into a day where you pursue your own agendas? The Lord claimed Israel as his own people by redeeming them from slavery in Egypt. He called them his treasured possession among all peoples. He said, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord gave Moses detailed instructions for the building of our tabernacles so that he could dwell among his people. Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. God's presence among his people was visible in a cloud by day and by fire at night. Israel was called to worship the Lord by presenting sacrifices and offerings at the tabernacle. They had opportunity to approach the Lord so that they could enjoy fellowship with him. Yet they needed to do that in the prescribed manner. For the Lord is a holy God, and they were sinful people. And so the Lord appointed the priests and the Levites to minister before him. Part of their responsibility was to guard the tabernacle, to prevent the people from coming before the Lord in an unauthorized way, so the Lord would not consume them in his anger. Part of their responsibility was to minister, so the people could worship God and live with him in covenant fellowship. Our text details how the Lord appointed the priests and Levites to serve before him. It explains how their service was representative of all Israel. The Lord appointed the priests and Levites to take the place of the firstborn in Israel. Our text shows how the firstborn had to be redeemed. It also details specific tasks of the Levites in caring for the tabernacle and its furnishings. It speaks about how there are many different tasks that need to be fulfilled in the worship of God. And how seemingly unimportant tasks are necessary. Our text teaches us about God's call for us to worship him also today. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. The Lord sets apart the Levites to lead Israel in their worship of him. We'll see how the Levites take the place of every firstborn in Israel. And how the Levites lead Israel in their worship of the Lord. Our text begins with, these are the generations of Aaron and Moses. It uses a standard formula that was used repeatedly in the book of Genesis. Marks a transition into a new section of the book, dealing with a new group of people. Specifically, it tells us about the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, from whom the Levites descended. It also tells us about the sons of Aaron, the high priest, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, from whom the priests descended. The priests and Levites served in an essential role in Israel. The priests mediated between the Israelites and the Lord. It's through their service that the Israelites were able to bring offerings to God and were reconciled to him. The Levites supported the priests in their ministry at the tabernacle. They were charged with guarding the tabernacle. They performed many tasks in and around the tabernacle. They were also responsible for transporting the tabernacle each time Israel moved on in their wilderness sojourn. It's striking that the tribe of Levi was chosen to minister before the Lord in this way. Originally, the Lord specified that each firstborn son in Israel 
was to be dedicated to him. We read about that in Exodus 13. There the Lord commanded his people, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. The Israelites were to set aside. They were to dedicate the firstborn, both in their families and in their flocks and herds, to the Lord. They were to be wholly devoted to him. To understand this, we need to understand another biblical concept, the idea of first fruits. The first fruits of every kind were to be dedicated to God. The first fruits of the barley harvest, the first of the wheat harvest, the first of the olives and of the grapes, the first of the flocks and herds, whether they be cattle, sheep, or goats. These first fruits were dedicated to God as a kind of testimony, as a witness of the fact that everything, absolutely everything, belonged to the Lord. Was it fair of God to put this kind of claim on his people? We need to understand, beloved, that God didn't need the gifts that his people presented to him. As the Lord testified to his people in Psalm 50, Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. It's not because of need that God demands the first fruits from his people. It is to teach them to remember that all their blessings came from him. It was the Lord who delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. Do you remember what Pharaoh had done to God's people? He had instituted a genocide against them, requiring that all the baby boys born to the Israelites be drowned in the Nile River. In the tenth plague, the Lord had sent a destroying angel throughout the land of Egypt, killing all the firstborn in their families and from among their flocks and herds. But the Lord spared his people through the blood of the Passover lamb. The result was that from here on, all the firstborn in Israel were to be consecrated to the Lord. It was God's way of saying, Israel is a people wholly dedicated to my service. Israel is a people whom I rescued, whom I set apart to worship me. The firstborn represented the entire people. The Lord set the Israelites apart from all the other nations on earth to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Israel was a holy people who were to be totally dedicated to the service of the Lord. The dedication of the firstborn represented God's claim on the life of every Israelite. The firstborn sons were to be devoted to the worship of God. They were set apart for temple service. They were to minister before the Lord at the tabernacle. They were to lead Israel in worship, offering sacrifices, praying, singing, teaching, and much more. And yet in our text, we see that the Lord appointed the Levites to serve before him at the tabernacle. What happened? 
Our reading from Exodus 32 makes clear how the tribe of Levi came to help Moses. When the people have gotten out of control, partying around the golden calf, the result was that this tribe was ordained for the service of the Lord. According to God's command, the Levites were to take the place of the firstborn sons in Israel. They were set aside to minister before the Lord at the tabernacle in place of their brothers. Yet the rest of the Israelites were not let off scot-free. God's command that the firstborn were to be devoted to him was not removed. It's repeated many times in the Bible. Our text refers to that in verses 12 and 13. The Lord says, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They are mine. I am the Lord. What changes is that instead of being set apart for temple ministry themselves, Israel's firstborn sons could be redeemed. To redeem something means to buy it back. The best modern example to explain this is to describe what happens at a pawn shop. If you need money, you can go to a place like cash converters. They'll give you a loan, let's say, for $100. You need to secure that loan with one of your possessions. Let's say a guitar worth around $500. You have three months to pay back your loan with interest. If you don't come back, you lose your $500 guitar. If you come back, you can redeem your guitar. You can buy it back. For $125, your loan plus interest and service fees. In Israel, parents were required to pay a price so the Levites could serve in place of their firstborn son. In Numbers 18, verse 16, the Lord tells his people, you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of the unclean animals. When they're a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels. Thus, Israel's parents had to pay the redemption price of five shekels of silver to set free their firstborn sons. We see this happen in our text. First, there is redemption by substitution. Numbers 343 notes there were 22,273 firstborn sons in Israel. Verse 39 notes that there were 22,000 Levites. The 22,000 Levites served as substitutes for most of the firstborn sons. Yet there were 273 more firstborn than Levites. These firstborn had to be redeemed at the cost of five shekels per person. Thus the people had to pay 1,365 shekels to redeem the 273 firstborn sons for whom there were no substitutes among the Levites. Our text foreshadows the glorious work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is often referred to in the Bible as God's firstborn son. As the firstborn, he was set apart, dedicated to God's service. 
In order to fulfill the demands of the law, his parents had to pay the price to redeem him. Luke 2, and 23 tells us that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord according to the command that every firstborn son had to be consecrated to the Lord. Yet though he was redeemed, Christ was not freed from the priestly service the Lord required of him. Jesus voluntarily came into this world to redeem his people from their sins. Remember, to redeem something means to buy it back. And doing that requires payment. To secure the release of Israel from Egypt, God extracted a terrible price from Egypt, the death of all their firstborn. He was teaching his people, I purchased you, I bought you out of your misery through the death of many Egyptians. To secure our release from sin and misery, God demanded a much higher price, the death of his own firstborn son. In 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, Peter explains the high cost of our redemption. He explains that we were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or spot. All of this sets the tone for what our text says about worship. It is the redeemed people of God who worship him. In the Old Covenant, it was the people of Israel set apart by God who are the worshiping community. Their worship is seen particularly in that their firstborn sons were devoted to the Lord. It's led by the Levites, who take the place of the firstborn of each family. So for Israel, worship flowed from a context where the whole nation was devoted to God. It flows from the delight of the people that they had been redeemed. Well, beloved, the same applies to us as new covenant people of God. We celebrate a redemption far greater than being rescued from slavery in a foreign land. Jesus came to redeem us from our sins and from the mastery of Satan over us. He came as our substitute to pay the price for our sins. Jesus offered his life to God as an atoning sacrifice in our place. And the result is that he has opened the way for us to be restored to fellowship with God. It gives us great comfort. Each of us may know, I am redeemed. Jesus Christ has paid the price for me. What's your response to that, beloved? Are you thankful? And if so, how do you show that? Is it your heart's desire to praise God who saved you from death and hell? Do you delight in gathering with God's people in worship to praise and glorify his holy name? Do you seek to glorify God in your daily life by living in a God-pleasing way? Our worship 
flows out of the joy of our redemption. Being saved by grace in Christ is what motivates us to live God-glorifying lives. Brings us to our second point, and we'll see how the Levites lead Israel in their worship of the Lord. Our text highlights how the tribe of Levi was chosen to minister before God at the tabernacle. Within the tribe of Levi was the family of Aaron, who were set aside to serve in the priestly role in Israel. Together, the priests and the Levites ministered before God. They were responsible for leading Israel in the true worship of the Lord. The task of the priests and Levites involved some really responsible, at times even dangerous, work. It also involved many rather mundane matters. It's just like today. Some jobs are more dangerous than others. If you're working in a restaurant flipping hamburgers, you may burn someone's food. If you're working at a, as a cashier at a shop, you may give someone too much change, costing your employer some money. Relatively minor mistakes that don't really have deep consequences. But if you're a brain surgeon, a mistake will likely cause someone cognitive function, perhaps even their life. If you're a pilot, making a mistake could cause your plane to crash, and many to lose their lives. In the same way, the work of the priest was in some ways dangerous work. The Lord our God is a holy God. He's not someone to be trifled with. He specified precisely how his people were to approach him and how they were to worship him. Our text highlights this when it references the death of Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus 10 tells the full story of how they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Instead of using coals from the altar to burn their incense, they used coals from some other source. And as a result, fire came from the presence of the Lord and burned them up. The message is clear. Carelessness in the worship of our holy God can be fatal. This sets the background for the Lord's command that the tribe of Levi was to minister before him. The Levites were charged with guarding the tabernacle. Our text highlights that. Verse 7 says the Levites were to guard over the priest and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting as they minister at the tabernacle. Verse 8 says they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. One of the ways that the Levites did this was by camping around the tabernacle. We saw in Numbers 2 how the 12 tribes were camped around the tabernacle on the east, the south, the west, and the north. The priests and Levites were camped directly around the tabernacle, between the various tribes and the tabernacle itself, where God dwelt. Part of the Levites' task was to keep the people from encroaching on the holy ground of the tabernacle. Verse 10 specifies that if any outsider came near, he was to be put to death. An example of the Levites' responsibility is recorded for us in 2 Chronicles 26. 
There we read of how when he became strong, the faithful king of Judah became proud. Isaiah was faithful to the Lord his God, was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Isaiah, telling him he was not allowed to burn incense before the Lord, for this was the task of the priests. Isaiah was angry. He had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, when leprosy broke out on his forehead. The priest rushed him out of the temple, and he hurried to go out because the Lord struck him. It's an example of how the tribe of Levi was responsible for guarding the tabernacle and later the temple, guarding the holiness of the Lord. In some ways, we could apply this to the New Testament church. The elders of the church have a responsibility to protect the worship of God from unholiness. In our churches, we don't allow just anyone on the pulpit or read sermons from just any minister. Those who fill our pulpits must be approved by classes or be ministers of churches with whom we are in ecclesiastical fellowship. Do we do this because we don't think anyone else is capable of feeding us with the living gospel? No. We do it as a safeguard. For many times, heresy has crept into the church of Christ through the false proclamation of the gospel. The elders are also responsible for the spiritual supervision of the congregation. We all have a responsibility to warn and admonish those straying in doctrine or life. But the elders have a particular responsibility in this regard. It's their task to admonish and discipline those who are wayward or disobedient or ungodly. There's three main reasons why elders exercise church discipline. One is to call the straying sinner to repentance and life. The second is to prevent that person's error in doctrine or wayward lifestyle from spreading to others in the church. The third is to uphold the holiness of God's name, that Christ may not be blasphemed when unbelievers see how wickedly a church member lives. Just like the Levites had a responsibility to guard the worship of God at the tabernacle, so the elders have a similar task today. The Levites were also responsible for ministering before the Lord at the tabernacle. They did many of the miscellaneous tasks in support of the work of the priests. There was a lot of work for the priests and Levites to do in ministering before the Lord at the tabernacle. When the people presented sacrifices, they were involved in slaughtering the animals, sprinkling blood at the base of the altar, preparing wood on the sacrifice, burning the sacrifice itself, getting rid of offal and ashes. They had to bake the showbread that was replaced in the tabernacle each morning. They had to fill the lamps with oil so that they could burn each day. 
They were responsible for gathering and storing the various offerings brought as first fruits to the Lord. They burned incense, they led in prayer, they gave God's people his blessing. During their wilderness sojourn, the Levites were also responsible for packing up, transporting, and setting up the tabernacle each time Israel moved. Numbers 3 and 4 give extensive instructions about how different Levitical families were responsible for different aspects of the tabernacle and its furnishings. Some of this work was actually pretty mundane. For example, part of the responsibility of the sons of Merari was to look after the tent pegs and the ropes used to set up the tabernacle. To our human eyes, a pretty unimportant task. Many of us have experienced trying to set up a tent when camping, only to find out that the tent pegs got misplaced. Can't set up a tent without ropes and pegs. It shows that even mundane, seemingly unimportant jobs need doing for the functioning of the community. Please don't lose sight of this central fact. Without the service of the Levites, there would be no worship of God. Later in Israel's history, once the temple was built, the Levites were also responsible for making music with various musical instruments and composing songs and leading God's people in singing praises to the Lord. Chronicles details the extensive preparations that King David made in preparing men to lead the worship ministry of the church. The Levites also served as teachers and as judges. They were responsible for maintaining these cities of refuge. And so their function extended beyond the worship of God. They also had an active role in the daily lives of God's people. What does the functioning of the Levites in Israel teach us for today? Well, in our covenant community, we have ministers set aside to preach the gospel, elders set aside to supervise the worship of God in the lives of God's people, and deacons set aside to ensure the poor and needy get what they need. We have teachers who teach our covenant youth. And yet, beloved, our churches and schools could not function without the active support and the participation of many more people. We benefit greatly from those who provide musical accompaniment through the organ or piano. Our singing would be diminished without this leadership and support. We have ushers who help set up for worship, who greet us when we arrive. We have people who prepare a liturgy and display boards in church. We have those who control sound and who live stream our services. We have a committee of administration to look after our facilities and cleaners who tidy up after us. Church would not function well without the involvement of many people. Our school is run by a board made up of members from our community. It has principals, teachers, support staff, and educational assistants. There's many different committees and volunteers to help our school run efficiently. So much work gets done behind the scenes without many people even being aware of it. 
Not all the work being done is glamorous, but it's all necessary. Without the support of many, our church and school communities would not function well. Beloved, we all belong to the communion of saints. We all have a calling to love one another, to support each other, to encourage each other. Yes, at times also to warn and admonish each other. God has called us to different callings. He's given different people different gifts. Yet each one of us has a responsibility to use our gifts for the benefit of others. Are you using your talents and gifts in our church and school community? Are you using them to reach out to others that they also may share in the blessings we enjoy? We, beloved, are a people who have been redeemed by the Lord. Jesus Christ has paid the price to set us free from the power of sin and Satan. God in his grace has adopted us as his children. He's made it possible for us to live in covenant fellowship with him. Are you thankful for that? If so, worship will be a priority in your life. Your desire on Sundays will be to gather and worship with God's people, to glorify God for his blessings. Your goal in daily life will be to lead God-glorifying lives. Live in close fellowship with him. Amen.